Welcome to this week's episode of From the Lighthouse. Today I'm joined in the virtual studio by Jimmy and Qua, and we're here to talk about Antonioni's film La Ventura. Welcome, Jimmy. Welcome, Qua. Lovely to see you both. Hi, Michelle, and congratulations on getting the, the name correct. <laughs> I warmed up on that one, Jimmy, you see. You did, you did. Um, I've got an even trickier version of his name, incidentally. Um, apparently, when this film came out, he was referred to as Antonio Nui. Antonio Nui. Yeah, like Ennui. <laughs> so it's combining he... his, his name with Ennui. So Antonio Nui. Oh, as in like the E-N-N-U-I. Exactly. Oh, okay. Well, that's unkind and unwarranted, I feel. So shall we introduce the readers to the wonders of La Ventura? And in terms of a film with a title <laughs> of, you know, sort of ironic proportions, um, I think uh, don't be fooled into thinking that this is an adventure action-packed movie because it's not and it wouldn't do it justice. No, and uh, there is really no spoiler alert at all because nothing can spoil this movie. <laughs> it's not about what happens because really not much actually does happen. Well, no, no, so a lot happens. A, a lot happens, vanishes. but... A woman vanishes never, ever, inexplicably... All right, yeah, yeah. Do, do you want to go through the plot with them? Look, I think just a basic overload in, in terms of, you know, sort of set up. Um, and, and it is, it's, it's, it's set in the Aeolian uh, Sicilia, Sicilia, Sicily, uh, set in Sicily, Italy, the islands. We've got, uh, you know, sort of the, the main characters who are off on a, on a luxury yacht around the islands, the, who we think is going to be the main character, uh, the beautiful, Jimmy, can you fill in the name? Anna. Uh, Anna, who disappears. Uh, we have a few sort of, uh, just sort of tortured hours looking for her on the island. And then- Tortured is correct, yes. <laughs> And, and, and then everyone picks themselves up quite nicely, um, does a little bit of half-hearted searching for the girl, and um, basically the wonderful premise of the movie is her good friend, who seems as though she's going to be the sidekick, ends up being the chief romantic interest of her, of Anna's um, fiancé, Sandro. And then the film really follows their love affair as I say, a half-hearted search for Anna. Um, and a half-hearted love affair. Well, yes, we have to discuss that, I think. <laughs> um, but against the backdrop of the, the, the sort of the, uh, the, the clash of, the, of old aristocracy and the nouveau riche um, and that sort of the, the real tension between the wealth of uh, central and northern Italy and the, 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 the poverty of the south, including an exploration of um, Italian migration to Australia um, via, um, you know, sort of photos and references and even sort of an English, a returned migrant um, who's returned to the islands um, in order to perhaps smuggle and to perhaps fish. Yeah, so an interesting film potentially could have been a sort of a detective um, genre in terms of the, the hunt for the, for the missing Anna who, um, and as I think it, it's impossible not to say, it's it, in, possibly beautiful um, actors, um, scenery, sets that decayed, the, the, the wealth and the, you know, sort of the, the poverty of that little um, hut on the island, um, you know, so some really fascinating contrast. And then, of course, you know, sort of the, 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 the stops through southern Italy and the towns that are dying, dying out, empty, or, you know, sort of at best kept alive through the church. So, um, yeah, so much to discuss. Not gripping, not gripping viewing is, 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 is what we're saying from the perspective of sitting on the edge of your seat. Um, or, or staying awake. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy, Qua, tell me what was your what was your Sunday evening like? <laughs> uh, I'll let Qua start first. Um, it's my third Antonioni, and I thought he would have changed um, my opinion about him uh, or his films. So I, I came in there knowing what what to expect, 
and I got what I expected. Um, and I said to Jimmy before the uh, podcast, I said, Antonioni from memory, uh, for me, loves to play with metaphors um, and similes and things like that. Um, but his characters are really annoying. Um, and I found that all the things that you mentioned um, are very, uh, very true to that film, except they're not, I, I find the, the still characters, they could have been a bit more engaging for me. Uh, and uh, their choices are quite disgusting, to be quite honest. Um, because I did you say choices? So, do you mean in terms of the fact that there's that sort of conscious decision making to be sort of somewhat alienated from the screen and not playing to, you know, sort of, I guess, uh, you know, sort of not attempting to create a cohesive character? Do you do you think that's? Um... He, he's done this uh, sort of pseudo genre piece uh, afterwards too. And I think he tried to perf probably perfected it a bit more in the passenger with Jack Nicholson. Um, so it's his venture into, I guess, some sort of narrative, you know, missing person adventure type of thing. Um, but I guess my point is that um, he, he doesn't really, um, he meanders a bit too much for me, but I think the main problem for this is, so you've got a, somebody that was close to you go missing and then within a day, not even, not even, let's face it, there was chemistry yeah. there on the, on the boat. Yeah. It, was, it was always there. It was just there. The best friend and the fiance fall in love the day uh, uh, within 24 hours and then go and and they even mentioned like D -d don't you care I'm like yeah you know she's missing whatevs but, but but what about us? what about the living that's selfish the thing about the dead or the possibly dead that's so selfish <laughs> i'm still wandering around on the island living right? the past let's live in the moment <laughs> No, no, but didn't you think that was interesting in terms of like, because I think about that Hanukkah film where it's just that, you know, sort of essential replaceability where we're all just, and I think because he's so carefully talking about, you know, the, the objectification of women, because that was such a powerful theme throughout the movie, then it was exactly as if she could be instantly replaced by the next bombshell that comes along. And that's exactly what happened. Like he literally just what would you say, bed-hopped, you know, into the yeah. arms of women, blonde, blonde, and, and bed-hopped again. I would add that Michael Bay movies do the exact same thing. Oh, you, you, you've, you've, refer you've out-referenced me. No, no because, because, because um, Megan Fox oh. was in the first Transformer, and maybe, <laughs> I can't remember which one, but he replaced her with another bombshell. Nobody said that he did an artistic move. So you don't do, you don't think, but, but I mean, you think about the reference to Jean Harlow, you think about the, um, those images of all of those men and boys streaming out of that Catholic church. Um, you know, you think about the heartlessness and also you think about the expressions of the women, um, women's faces while they're having sex. Like, you, you know, like those are the weirdest most uncomfortable sex scenes to watch. And I was actually going to ask you because you've got a much, you know, sort of richer um, experience of, you know, sort of film than me. Was it, you know, sort of that deliberate sort of pseudo sex sort of scene that he was, that was what he was aiming for? Or was it just that maybe actors didn't know how to do sex on television the way that they do now? I think Antonioni loves women. He loves women in a lot of films. He's he's curious by them. He's intrigued by them. He he finds them mysterious as well, and he wants to explore them through his films. He's, he's done it in the past with Eclipse as well, um, and he sees them in very, very, uh, very interesting light. I, uh, no doubt that the women in his films, particularly this one, are more interesting in Sandra. Sandra is just no offense, but a walking penis. You know, <laughs> like that's all he like. He's he's and and but he and, and Antonioni loves this idea that young women are attracted to older men, you know. And it's it's and 
and uh, it's kind of again explored. And um, I think he had Alain Delon in another in Eclipse. And uh, mind you, Alain Delon, if you know if you're going to have eye candy, why not recast Alain Delon instead of uh, Sandro, who's played by uh, Gabriel Fazetti? But I guess. I think I'm jumping too many topics here, but one of the uh, one of the great criti- uh, um, praises that people say about Antonioni is his pacing and his lack of music, um, which sets a v- v- quite surreal tone, right? A, a surreal mood to the piece. Um, we don't get music throughout the whole dramatic missing person by the cliff sort of scenario. We don't get much music except for the beginning and a bit of the end. Um, and that sort of creates, but, the, but that's, I mean, his, his mood is easily repli- uh, replicated. All you gotta do is get rid of music and meander a bit longer on some of the shots and, and you get Antonioni. Uh, it's controversial, but uh, some people have, you know, uh, critique that in that way. Um, but apart from the filmmaking aesthetics, I think he has, um, he, he paints in broad strokes and I, I found it to be that, that case for this film. Jimmy, what do you think? Well, I mean, I, I have very, very different perspective, I, th- I think from, from both of you. I mean, I, I do see the point that you're both making, um, uh, but for me, it seems to be, um, and it's it's something that I'm tentatively calling this podcast, incidentally, uh, it seems to be an exploration of boredom, um, not just simply boredom from the viewer's perspective, but also uh, boredom from the characters as well. I think, I think they're bored of their lives, you know, they're bored with everything that's going on in their lives, including sex itself, which is why I think the sex scenes are so bizarre. Because a lot of times, um, one of the things I did notice was that sex only ever seems to happen when there's a possibility that somebody's observing them. So the first sex thing you see is with Anna and Sandro, and they do it basically while her best friend is downstairs in frame in, in that window shot as well. You know, um, and, and only half pull the curtain. And half, half pull the, pull the curtain. curtain. Not even fully then, pull the curtain. I know. Um, and then, you know, she even has the audacity to say, oh, let her wait. It's kind of like, but, you know, so, so it's almost like a voice. And then there's another really strange one with um, Julia and the young painter. You know, she drags um, Claudia with her um, saying, you know, oh, you need to be there because I don't know what this young painter is going to do. You know, he may want to have sex or blah, blah, blah. You have to stop me. And what does she do? She openly, you know, flirts with him and then proceeds to, you know, pass him uh, and <clears throat> almost, you know, dry humps him. <laughs> and then only to send Claudia away to say, I'm going to do what I want now. So you come thinking... Now that point? you know what I'm up to. Yeah, now that you know what I'm up to, you go. <laughs> and that seems to me like, you know, whenever there's privacy, they don't ever want to have sex. But when there's the possibility that somebody's observing them, <clears throat> they, they do want to have sex. So it almost seems as if sex then is something that they're doing <clears throat> um, to relieve the boredom. But sex on its own is so boring that they need to be caught in the act in order to make it even more interesting for themselves. Well, it, but you know, it's it's almost more, you know, because I, I find that I, I did find it fascinating because it was the same when Sandro and what's the blonde woman's name in the film? Claudia. Claudia. When when Sandro and Claudia are in the um, in the small town, and once again you can see somebody coming down the steps so that they can see straight into their room. Um, the thing that I thought was neither one of them, and it was the same in that opening sex scene, was neither of them seemed absolutely compelled to, to have sex. Like it, it seemed to be something that, well, if I must, I will. Yeah. Um, that's with all the characters and all the situations in this film that they're only doing uh, what they think they should be doing to entertain themselves, but it doesn't actually entertain them at all. I mean, even uh, Claudia's grief over... Anna's disappearance didn't seem real to me. I mean, there's that very strange scene where um, the, the Australian guy said, you know, have you checked under the cliff? You know, a lot of people died there. And she runs out there very dramatically in the rain and then there's tears. Very briefly, mind you, it didn't even last one minute. They drag her in and suddenly she's like in a comatose state from, you know, being drenched by the rain and so delicate from her grief and everything. You think it's all pretense. It's all false. 
she's you know she's pretending to react or behave in ways that uh, we think society should behave, um, but really she's bored by the entire scenario. The interesting thing was at that moment in the room in that hotel where she was, you know, sort of it, it seemed as though she was really quite keen to have passionate sex with Sandro. He rejects her and sort of walks away from her, and you know, it was probably the most vivacious. Because there was not because there was nobody there because there was nobody there to observe. But I don't think it's just that. I think you know, first of all, it was it was a rejection of you know, sort of I guess, the, the feminine sexuality. You know, like so. He, so when she actually wants it, let's not do it. Well, you, know? you, you should mention that because I th I think even um, the females in this film for me seem to be bored by the male's attention. So there's that writer that you were talking. Um, <laughs> about i think oh, did you mention the writer i forgot the name the writer now um you know the the woman who all the men were ogling over and the one he um sandra ends up cheating on claudia with um she seems not quite sure what to do with the attention as if you know oh this is some sort of attention i'm getting but i'm quite bored by this particular attention as well so. she right i i i thought she she was a sex worker I don't think because I thought they said that in the in, in I thought they said that as she, you know she walked into the bar and somebody under their breath said Putana, didn't they? Yeah, because of the way she was dressed. But I think she mentioned that she, you know, she was writing something. Um, but, but didn't he leave money in a way that made it sort of fairly? Yeah, so I think there there, there I is. A, the, I, I, I saw that as a commentary on <laughs> the the fact that you know writers whore themselves out. <laughs> so. <laughs> no, I, I thought she was actually you know sort of a, she was actually a sex worker who came to the to the bar in order to pick up. Oh yes, you know, which I, I thought was an interesting prong to the sort of exploration of sexuality that was going on because you know not only did he not you know sort of cheat on her you know he 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 literally you know sort of solicited sex and yes she was you know sort of gorgeous and you know sort of alluring and all of that sort of thing I, I don't know that was just my hearing that there was you know there was that there there, there were a couple of men at the you know sort of the bar who said tunnel or something like that when she walked out. Um, when she walked away from the bar, um, and I don't think that that I mean <clears throat> we don't understand Italian, so we only looked at the uh, subtitle. I don't think that was translated. I don't know. I, thought, I, I don't know. Like I, I just I just felt sure that I, I don't either heard that or maybe read it, but I just thought I was pretty sure that there was something because it, it sort of took me aback because I thought she was going to be you know sort of the mysterious figure. And, you know, that didn't mean that she couldn't be the mysterious figure, but it was just that it was also the tone in which they said it. It was really quite, you know, sort of dismissive and... Um... Well, I mean, it, it's a possibility, but it would bear a, a second viewing, which I'm not prepared to do at this stage. <laughs> um, yes, because I, 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 I think that, you know, there's definitely sort of that ring of inauthenticity throughout... Um, but I think that there was a deliberate, and, and I, 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 I like that way that you called it sort of pseudo-genre. I think it was a, that sort of sort of element, that, you know, sort of postmodern pastiche. And, you know, there was such an emphasis on clothes and, you know, because there's that crazy little image, there's a sort of scene where she sort of flirts with the shirt that was in his, and they were sort of exquisite clothes. Um, but there was also this element, and, I, and this is where I, you know, like transferability, because she actually puts on Anna's shirt, and you know, sort of in wearing her shirt, you know, she puts it on, and it's like a rehearsal for what's going to happen, and she takes it off, and then only chooses to wear it again once Anna has sort of disappeared, and it was because that's almost surreal, you know, to have that. It was too surreal to have those two, you know, begin that relationship. So immediately afterwards well i thought it was going to go down the path of i think a better film actually um bergman's persona <clears throat> where two women's identities start to merge into each other sorry my voice is about to disappear <clears throat> um <clears throat> uh, but it doesn't quite go down that path so <clears throat> it's like the rest of the movie where there's a lot of loose end that doesn't actually get tied um at the end so that's another sort of strand that i thought could have gone somewhere interesting but i didn't feel that it actually went to those areas that you were alluding to? It was, it was, I mean, there was such an enormous feeling of, you know, sort of, I guess, futility and entrapment, I think, you know, just in, in that sense, 
that um, the you know the way that she came the way the film came to end with her hand sort of stroking you know sort of the back of of Sandro's head while they view you know sort of the the the, the countryside um, and the because I think it is the countryside and also the church because there's a lot of churches you know sort of very deliberate um, shots and angles on 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 churches and um, and the bells and and I, I also think because it's sort of capturing that moment of of transformation and you know sort of industrialization and you know sort of there was a very deliberate effort to sort of I guess introduce that theme both of you know the because um, Claudia was a marquee uh, a marquess and she had no money she grew up with no money um and and you know that's such an important thing because down south when um you know sort of i guess with the the changing uh, you know sort of the movement between an agricultural and sort of virtually feudal economy to the you know compared to the industrialization of of the north and you know that's what that's what was happening wasn't it you know um sandro was was going up to work and then come back and visit you, you know like why was he absent from anna for those stretches because she was she was from down south um you know sort of the i guess the poor you know sort of aristocracy while he was going places to work for wealthy industrialists you know and and he was literally not even building he was literally just quoting that was his job like he was literally putting the price on things which you know i i, I felt was quite a you know, sort of, I, you know, like I, I felt that there was something very artificial about the way he did everything. But at the same time, the sort of the, the, the themes that he was touching and, and, you know, particularly his willingness to centralise that critique of, of, you know, sort of, of the patriarchy and the objectification of women, you know, like to do that in a sustained way through the length of the film you know, yes, it was long. Yes, it was languorous. <laughs> yes, it was dull. <laughs> you know, yes, it was weird. But I still, I did enjoy it. And I, f I found that in the days since watching it, you know, my mind does return to sort of key moments. And, and that idea of clothing, you know, and, and the way that it's sort of that performativity of identity, that when you put something on, you become that thing. But also it's linked to sort of, um, you know, sort of a mercantile, um, you know, sort of world and, uh, yeah, there was, and, and, and just also the difference between the formal dress and the casual dress, you know, like those moments where we see them all dressed to the nines. I mean, you can only do that. You know, you and I, we're never going to know what that feels like. Well, I mean, I, I think... <laughs> I mean, sorry, no, no, no. <laughs> Does Claudia actually become Anna um, just by putting on her clothes? Because... One of the things that really um, I think is distinctive about Anna is um, her lies. She lies out of boredom. She, she lies just for the hell of it. But Claudia doesn't seem to do that. Well, does she lie for the hell of it or does she... Because I, that was what I found was interesting because she sort of suggested that she had a motive for lying, which was sort of sounding out Sandro. And actually, Sandro does. It, you know, sort of imagine this. Shark, I'm swimming for the shore. You know, I don't care who's out there. But Sandro actually goes back and you know rescues her even though she doesn't need rescuing and so I felt I this is where I thought it was interesting because it was like he was exploring all those you know sort of archetypes all those tropes all those cliches you know Sandra is doing what he's supposed to do but it's not enough because even though he saves her which is ostensibly her motivation for yelling shark she doesn't come away from that going yeah he really loves me she has that really weird sort of alienated conversation with him, which doesn't really get to anything. And it's the inability for anybody to make real connections. Yeah. I mean, for me, um, this film is kind of like the, um, so I was thinking of another filmmaker when I was watching this film, which is uh, Wong Kar Wai, um, cause he's also about, <clears throat> he loves exploring um, unfulfilled desires, which this one kind of does, but his, I don't know, the, the characters feel more emotional, whereas this one, the characters feel kind of, I don't know, um, bored, 
they are the hollow characters they are hollowed out emptied you know and all of those um all of those different um you know sort of parallel relationships that were so you know sort of dysfunctional there was the um actually say the older husband with the younger the younger wife um there was the the the, the couple who owned the, the 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 boat who were just sort of seemed so jaded there was the <clears throat> almost um you know sort of affair or you know sort of the 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 the, the tentative you know sort of um i guess the the two on uh, below deck while she's playing with her dog and cards i think as if she was playing cards or doing something and you know there's all this banter this sexualized banter where she's quite honest um and about you know you know sort of why she wouldn't bother having an affair and it's certainly not any desire to remain immoral <laughs> you know or, or on a god or anything or a marriage well, or anything she does it to be um unique because everyone's having an affair so she decides no to be unique i'm going to be faithful <laughs> which but, is you know but it's so, ironic but it's ironic because the, the person she's saying that to is her lover because she's actually married to another guy <laughs> and that, that, that's that's so there's all these sorts of disjunctions and and then what about that strange scene on the train when claudia and sandro are listening in on the conversation of those two and and she's talking about you know, sort of the radio, and and this is why I said there's such a and and I, I get what you're saying because I'm not a hundred percent sure whether there's it's too contrived. It's, you it's know, too like, contrived. I mean, it it seems that the only pleasure they get is out of voyeurism, um, or exhibitionism, really. Uh, whereas everything else doesn't seem pleasurable to them. Everything else, I mean, even that ending is really bizarre. Does she actually forgive him at the end? If so, what's what's her reason for giving him? Why is she sad? Why is he sad? Why do they both cry at the end? But separately, you know, they don't even cry together. They cry in their own pathetic little separate corners. But the tears never seem real or inspired. It's weird because he sort of confirms himself as the ultimate Lothario in, in, in so rapidly, you know, sort of having sex with somebody, you know. And, and it's funny because there was, there, there was almost real... There was almost real tenderness there where you sort of felt as though she might have wished that he would stay as he as he put her to bed, which was, you know, sort of tucked her in and, um, you know, sort of turned out the light before going and putting on his own, you know, sort of suit and heading downstairs. And, you know, you almost had this feeling that had he chosen to stay with her, you know, had whatever, then, you know, sort of perhaps some moment of genuine... Um, tenderness might have ar arisen um, and yet we also sort of see I mean th there was a really nasty action of Sandro when he knocked the inkwell over on on the drawing of that young man and, and I think it's interesting that you pointed out the sort of because it's generational as well isn't it like there's generational gaps and he's very much the older um, the older man sort of lording over that younger person who it's just presumed it's his right to do that because that's a ter that's a terrible thing to do yeah and he only really ever seems to do it out of boredom really spite spite maybe um spite because he was somebody who dreamed of building things yeah and, and, and not now he's just you know he's he's nobody really he you know he doesn't he's not doing the thing that he wants to do and so um, but he's wealthy He's become wealthy beyond his dreams. He's become wealthy but bored. Wealthy but meaningless. And I, and I think it's actually the meaning thing and the lack of meaning that is creating, you know, sort of that void or that that sort of it within the film. You know, the because the thing that you want, you're not being given um, because the characters are so, um, you know, they, they, they're sort of, it, it is as though they are lacking something essential. Um, which keeps you at arm's length from them. But I can't help but feel that 
that's the that's the goal of it that you know sort of in a world where it's been i guess evacuated of meaning of symbols of you know sort of relations and it's been replaced by you know sort of money and the objectification of women because it was really sinister there were a lot of sinister scenes where you know that that moment where she walked out in the street and the sheer number of men in the street and the sheer absence of women and then again the 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 film star who so so there's just that sort of deliberate you know sort of intention to you know sort of critique the types of roles that women can play and you know sort of to interrogate that sort of really sexual violence because it was i mean the, the, the it was about her being a bombshell her skirt and again the clothes you know like the repetition of that exploration of what clothes signify it, her skirt literally had the seams opened at, at, at the side you know um and so i while it was all uncomfortable and unresolved um i i, I felt that there was greater impact because of that because it was so irritating because it kept me you know, so unsatisfied and because it just led me to think that that was that ending was the, the sort of the, you know, sort of the compulsion to continue playing those empty roles when what both of them clearly wanted was some kind of real connection. Not necessarily with each other, but, you know, obviously because, you know, she had that moment where she was, you know, sort of both, there was that sort of tenderness but also that moment where she's in the hotel room and she's being playful and funny and silly and you know that was that was unusual to see a woman play that kind of role and and and, and also the way that remember early on when she makes those strange faces in the mirror at herself you, you know she sort of pulls a weird um ex expression and you might not you just you, you haven't remembered you need to go back and watch it you two like watch it again no i mean um one moment i do remember is in the hotel room where she says to him and i, I think this is kind of a key moment too where she says to him you know tell me you love me and then he says i love you and then she says tell me you don't love me and he says i don't love you and no then, no she said tell me again is it tell me again yeah she says i don't love you and then he turns around and says, you know, I do love you. you know, that's a lie. Um, but it's all very, very confusing, you know, <clears throat> that, that whole scene, because it, it almost seems as if they're incapable of love, that they are just going through the, the, the motions. Well, she says to be in love. She says, tell me you lo lo love me. And he says, I, I love you. And then she goes, tell me again. And then she, he, and then he says, I don't love you. And then she says, I deserve that. Don't I? Or something like that. And then he walks out. Uh, and then he comes back and goes, I lie, I, I do love you. And then closes the door again. Yeah, which which is just absolutely meaningless. You know, what what was the point of that? Well, I guess it's 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 a script, isn't it? You know, she's she's giving him the script, what she wants to hear. He does it for her. I but think, also I think that's an unusual scene. I think I think for me it just reminds me of teenage films where people say these things, but they don't even know what it really means because they're not really acting upon what they're saying. You know, they're just play acting or they're, you know, they're not, it, when you say that they, um, the characters are trying to find meaningful connections, but are struggling, is that something that they are, legitimately struggling because the world doesn't offer that or is there something that they impose on themselves? I, I think it's both. And because, you know, it's, it's he, the two of them. And in fact, Anna as well, you know, the figure of marriage, um, because the father, one of the early conversations that the father has, he'll never marry you. I don't want him to marry me. He talks of marriage. And actually, true to form, not, it, it seems that, yes, he does talk of marriage and he does talk of marriage to, to Claudia as well, to Claudia as well. You know, they, she, you know, I think there's a point where he says, let's marry now, and she's the one who says no. 
And I think that's interesting because, like you said, it, it's sort of a world where marriage doesn't, you know, it's no longer that fairy tale where mar marriage is going or imagined to be the, the sort of the ideal, the panacea, the dream. No, because we, we have two married couples in, in the film as well who, um, who kind of ignores each other throughout the course and who cheats on each other throughout the entire course. So, so we kind of have examples of, you know, single people who are going to get married or want to get married and then we've got the married couples, but no one's happy you know, in any of these relationships. And, and I think it's that sort of acknowledgement of the disillusionment or the disenchantment of the world, you know. So, you know, we're damned if we have these sort of dreams and illusions and myths about, you know, sort of marriage, etc. You know, you're damned if you have those, but you're damned if you don't as well. And, you know, without them, you end up sort of locked in this parody of life. And I think that's what it felt like. There's a very parodic element to the film. Yeah, and I think, yeah, I think maybe you've just sort of um, <clears throat> highlighted my main problem with it because while you're talking about all these issues, I was thinking of a better film that deals with very, very similar issue, um, uh, which is Closer, uh, also about two couples who cannot find meaningful connection with each other. But <clears throat> it does it in a way to explore contemporary relationships or at least then contemporary relationship. And maybe this one was doing so too for the 1960s. But I just didn't feel a connection with, with this one. I just didn't feel that, you know, and maybe it's the parody element of it. That, because I, I don't know, I'm kind of resistant to parody. <clears throat> I think if you're going to um, make a parody of something, it, it kind of loses its um, momentum for me. It doesn't have that kind of um, ability to draw in. No, but it requires the audience to engage with the intellect rather than the heart or the emotions. And it also, I think, I think that's, um, that's the problem. Yeah, for, for me, film is um, first and foremost an emotional experience. And so just to engage with it purely on an intellectual level, I feel it's almost like a, a wonderful concept explored, but not necessarily an enjoyable film um, to think about and absorb. Look, there's no doubt there, you know, sort of, I needed to watch that in two sessions. Um, and, <laughs> you know, it was definitely not the film that I was carried away by. And but I wonder... At the same time, the visual, like, I, I find that for somebody with a really poor memory, I have a great number of very clear shots that I've retained and also some really clear ideas about the film that I've retained, even though I have a shocking memory. Um, and so I don't, like, I, I don't object to watching something purely through the lens of the intellect, as long as the stuff that's being dealt up feels worthy of the, of the attention or in some way um, benefits from the attention. And, and I, I still can't get away from just how, consistent that critique of, the, of that you know sort of patriarchy was was you know sort of and you know sort of even the the chemist you know where they go and they might have heard or you know she Anna might have ended up at the chemist and you know sort of that that marriage that had only lasted a couple of months and yet already he was chasing women you know and so that you know sort of you know Sort of that figure of the man who is continually sort of hunting down, you know, sort of women in order to pursue or, or to satisfy his own, you know, sort of very much sexual longings or, you know, even if they're not quite longings because they're also, <laughs> they're all, they're all too indifferent to feel proper longings. Um, you know, it's, it's still, it, it's it's still being it's still being put on the platter for interrogation, you know, and and I think that it kind of does, you know, sort of position the audience to sort of maintain a critical distance that's quite productive. Um, well, I, I have a challenge for you, Michelle. Oh no! As, when I was watching this film, I was thinking of another film that made me just want to uh, peel my skin off for something better to do than to watch it, uh, which is last year Marianne Bad. Um, a film that's almost purely intellectual. There's uh, visually, it's absolutely stunning. There's almost no emotion to it. It's just um, it's an intellectual, philosophical idea explored in two hours, which is blessedly shorter than this one. Um, but I wonder how you would feel about that film because that was 
really, really painful to sit through. Uh, and even now, I don't really remember much from it. I, I, I go for the challenge because I, I do. I mean, I, I, I did enjoy, I did enjoy the film, and I was curious just to ask both of you in terms of the, you know, sort of in terms of the acting and the degree to which, because obviously there's such a um, historical element in the way that actors portray scenes, emotions, etc. So I mean, you go back and you look at hold. Hollywood movies and you feel there's melodrama where perhaps at a time they wouldn't have seen melodrama. So that there's a history to the way that things have... And so I was just interested, you know, sort of at the time in which this, you know, in the 60s, you know, sort of the level of... And of course, because it's come about of neorealismo and, and, you know, that idea of, you know, sort of non-actors, you know, sort of um, playing roles, you know, like La Bicicletta and, and, you know, Battle of Algiers and, you know, all of that sort of thing. So, you know, in terms of that, um, you know, sort of that approach to acting and I guess the technique, you know, the degree to which that was technique that we were watching from actors, I guess, you know. Well, it kind of reminded me of um, other Italian films. I have to confess, I don't think I'm a big fan of Italian films during this period. Um, I like Italian films of other period, but not so much during this particular period. Um, so it reminded me of other films like it, um, but to a lesser degree. So I'm thinking of the neo-realists, you know, films like uh, The Bicycle Thieves, you know, De Sica. Sorry, my dog's going ballistic here. Um, so I was thinking of those films, but it does have that faux melodrama that you're talking about. I don't think it's quite melodrama. I think it's it's people pretending to be melodramatic, but not really you know, understanding really where melodrama comes from because I actually quite like a lot of the Hollywood melodramas uh, of that period. So things, um, films by, by Douglas Sirk, for example, are just absolutely wonderful melodrama. Um, very, very difficult to explore because um, I think it requires a lot more um, insight in order to understand how melodrama is used to critique certain things. So a lot of Dr. Sirk's uh, film critique um, sexuality, um, gender and race as well, but it does it in a very, very subtle, subversive way, um, which is kind of ironic because when you consider how melodrama is really much over the top, you know, and, and so it's that play between the subtle and the, you know, the dramatic that makes melodrama of that period really interesting. Whereas with this one, it seems as if the characters are trying to mold themselves to that melodramatic world, but not really understanding what made that melodramatic world interesting. So, so how meticulous is Antonioni in terms of his, his sort of, I guess, his filmmaking? Oh, I think very meticulous. I mean, I have no problems at all with the actual visual aspect of it. So in the sense that he would have relentlessly driven the actors to get it the way he wanted? Yeah, quite, I, I think so. I mean, uh, Roger Ebert, the great film critic, who's probably my favourite film, film critic, pointed something out that I didn't notice, but um, it also probably um, aligns with that kind of disorientation that you were talking about. And one of the things he said is um, he noticed how all the actors are always framed just off center. So they're just almost slightly, you know, they're not quite in the center of the actual um, scene itself, which is the, the classical framing, you know, whoever you're looking at, they should always be the, the central focus. So they're either a little bit to the right down the bottom, uh, usually for the, a lot of times or off to the side somewhere, you know, they're not quite in the center of the frame. And so that adds a sort of off kilter uh, and kind of, um, uh, disorientation that happens when you're watching Antonioni films. So all that is really deliberate. And so, you know, I, I think he is a very deliberate filmmaker, but whether that deliberateness is successful or not, that's, I think, the, the question that's more up for debate. So I think as a film that explores ideas, I think it's really interesting, but it's not a film that I would probably revisit anytime soon or would even want to, to revisit anytime soon, um, mainly because I, th I think there's really not much there for me to hold on to afterwards. Um, so, you know, as I said, while you're talking, I'm thinking of all these other films where I do retain something from them. Whereas with this one, not so much. And mainly I think the reason is because I just can't relate to characters who are so bored with their lives that they just go through the motions. Um, I almost feel as if they're either too old <laughs> for me or too young 
you know, for me as well. So I'm not of the right age group. So I feel almost as if this is a film I might enjoy in my early twenties where I feel dis you know, enfranchised or, you know, disillusioned by sex and the world and everything around me, but not so much at this age anymore. Or maybe it's, it's a film I might enjoy I don't know, later on in life. Yeah. You know, I don't think so. In my, <laughs> in my, <laughs> Wow, you sound so sure. The only reason I say that is because Roger Ebert had a really interesting experience with it where when he first watched it, which is when he first came out, he was 19 years old and he hated the film. Then 15 years later, he had to teach at a university and he still didn't like the film. Uh, and then another 15 years after that, he reviewed it uh, and he, he understood the film. Maybe he was bored at the time. Well, possibly, but one of the things he noticed, which I still can't quite grasp and maybe michelle is grasping it a little bit better than, than we are because she is slightly older than us um <clears throat> is that he, he mentions that the thing he didn't notice in his previous two viewing was the passion in the film and i thought that's a really interesting review because i don't see any passion at all when i watch a film like this but he did see uh, a passionate cry of despair coming from this film which i thought was really really interesting mm. Look, I, no, no, I, I do like that idea because I think that it's like the ideological focalisation of the film, you know, sort of, you know, because it's so, it, it's so carefully poised between decay and decadence, mm. you know, and because there's so much, um, there's so much futility and so much that can't be had, you know, that, I think that while the characters are so definitively, um, you know, disaffected and, you know, sort of, I guess, hollow but aware of their own essential hollowness, I think, um, that you can feel that brooding beneath that. I think, you know, I think for me there was this sense that underlying it was this, horror at what the world is you know how horrible it is that you know sort of i guess perhaps one half of the population is subjected to this kind of voracious vision by the other you know sort of while you know sort of the institutions are controlled by that other so you, do you know what i mean like because well, i know what you mean and, and i think that's also part of my problem you know for someone who can um, own such beautiful clothes, go to such wonderful hotels, have all the money in the world. For me to sympathise with people like that who uh, have a sense of horror of their own world. In terms of the gender, you know, like in terms of the gender to be, you know, sort of to be, I guess, objectified to the point where your existence doesn't matter because you can disappear overnight and be replaced by somebody who is equally as beautiful is mm. horror. You know, like that is horror because yeah. you know, think, that's your but, only economy and the women don't have an economy. But you know, like you've got the artist male. I, I, think that, the, I do disagree with that um, uh, because I think the, the women do the same thing because they also... They don't have the same agency. Because they don't have as much agency, but they do they do replace their older male lovers with younger male lovers. It's not the same thing in a society where you have that stream of men coming out of the church when you have yes, the stream absolutely. of men they on the They don't have that kind of... And I think that daddy. violence behind that obje sexual objectification, hmm. um, you know, I think that's there and I think that he holds the tension on that throughout. And he doesn't do it in a, you know, sort of a really exaggerated way. He doesn't do it in a, you know, sort of slap you over the face sort of way but I, I think he maintains it and yes you know it's easy when they have these you know sort of glamorous lives but uh, you know and of course there's there's themes that cross gender as well it's not just gender but I, I still think that there is basically something horrific and violent at that thought that she is dashed to the cliffs or she's been taken by the smugglers because that was another you know, potential avenue of what happened to Anna was that she was picked up. And obviously if she's picked up by those smugglers, which was, I think, also a class exploration, um, then what's happened to her? You know, she's become a sex tool. Yeah, but, I, I think the, but the other path also, and it's also a very strong possibility, is that she simply disappeared because she wanted to disappear. Um, because, you know, one of the things she said is that you know, she just wanted, the last thing she said um, to Sandra is that she just wanted to be alone. She wants to be. Oh, 
those possibilities exist and yeah. I, I don't think they cancel each other out. You know, no, I don't they, think it's they, they don't cancel each other out. The fact that she may have not disappeared, I think that horror is still there. Yeah, but the horror, I suppose for me, is lessened if uh, she willingly chooses to disappear. But both possibilities are there and neither can be resolved. No, neither can be resolved. You've got to have that underside. And, and, no. and, you know, sort of it's it's not just any, it's a, it's somebody who, because, you know, I Googled Jean Harlow and she's just literally, you know, sort of like sex siren, yep. you know. And bombshell. Yep. Bombshell, you know, all of that sort of thing. And, you know, it, 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 and, and then, as I say, I, I just feel that that's sort of a recurring enough element throughout the film that there is this sort of disturbed, um, you know, sort of the, the disturbed, and it, 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 you know, it's not horror, horror, but it's just, it's just this sort of sinister awareness of, of, of the, the violence yeah, know, but of a particular but period in time. For me, it's lessened by um, uh, the, the focus, I suppose, you know, because it loses focus of that part of the story. It's almost... not, if she's, not, if she's, not if she's the sex worker at the end. You think she's the sex worker at the end? Look, look, I can't, you know, as I say, that was just my ears picking up. And I'm sure that they made that remark. The two guys at the bar, they said, oh, you know, put Tanaki. No, 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 no. But you, you think Anna's the, the sex worker at the end? No, the, 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 the final person that he has sex with. Oh, no, no, no. I was, I was talking about the whole um, um, Anna's disappearance thing. Like, a, like that story doesn't actually really get resolved. It's more sinister because, yes, she may have gone off and, you know, sort of willingly escaped and found an answer to her, you know, miserable existence, um, start again. But at the same time, she's replaced. Yeah. No, I, but that's I, horrible in itself. It is, but I, I think for me what's more horrible is the character's apathy. You know, there, there is a, a certain sense of apathy with everything that's going on in, in their lives, including you know, um, this disappearance of somebody who presumably they care about, but the point is, I don't know why they care about this person, because there's nothing about this person that makes them particularly lovable. Uh, and we don't see any instances where there's actually real connection between any of the characters at all for them to really even care about this particular character. So that disappearance for me is is lessened by, by that and also by the the, the lack of focus. Uh, and again, I have to go to another film that also has a mysterious disappearance that never gets solved, which is much more impactful uh, and possibly even references this film, which is Picnic at Hanging Rock, you know, where a group of girls. Yeah, yeah I did think of Picnic at Hanging Rock when I, when I watched it. And, and I think it's a very powerful trope to employ. It is a very powerful trope. And, and I feel that that sustained focus on the missing girls, and even though it doesn't get resolved at the end either, that for me, you know, brought that issue out a lot more strongly than this one where it just sort of tethers off as all issues in this film seem to do. They just sort of tether off into... Is it know. just a more savage indictment on society? Because at least if people can be bothered to care about somebody disappearing, then the suggestion yeah. is that there is, you know, sort of, I guess, good in the fabric of society. Whereas yeah. if they don't, then actually it's just a much more cynical worldview, exactly. which is not nice, no. but it's still very powerful. I liked it too. I, and, I, and, I, and I know you, you sort of, yeah, I liked it. I, I, like, yeah, I liked that one. The true horror of the film is the apathy itself, <laughs> which is what I was saying earlier. You know, that's, that's, that's for me really. Yeah, but it's not any type of apathy. It's a particular type of apathy. And you'll never get me to relinquish that idea that she's... No, no, but it's, it's a particular type of apathy that I can't really respond to because it's a privileged apathy. It's an apathy from people who are so he wealthy. Explore the, that he does also so explore that class issue because, you know, I think that the way that the, the, the you know, the smugglers, you know, are treated, um, you know, he's not unaware of the fact that there is, you know, sort of, ex, you know, extreme poverty, you know, there's, 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 there's starving, there's starvation. Um, and, you, you know, like th there is this sense of, you know, this divide. And I think that divide, you know, he's, if he was unaware of the divide, but there is an awareness of that divide. Yes, um, there is. But I think for me, the difference, so to, to use the, um, the, the modern idiom or the kid's idiom at the moment, it just seems to, be, to me to be a film about uh, Karens. You know, that's, that's, that's really what it is. A whole bunch of Karen. uh, Karens. So, so that's the new term at the moment to refer to, I'm older than you, Jimmy. I don't know these things. They're so basically um, middle, roughly middle-aged, privileged women who, you know, think they... You know, I'm glad it's not Michelle's. That would have been really hurtful. <laughs> well, 
you kind of have a haircut of a cow. No, I have no haircut. I haven't had a haircut for a year. So, no, I don't have any type of haircut because but, there's... Yeah, no I think that's my main objection. You know, I can't relate to a bunch of privileged people who are bored. Uh, and even though it's hard to critique that kind of society where these people do exist, I think spending two and a half hours with people of this nature is way, way, yeah. way too long for my liking. And And not to mention selfish. They just follow what what they want which they don't even know if, if it makes them happy and at the end we don't even know if we like them so what would, no, I, don't, I don't think we do like them no i definitely don't <laughs> which is what's so intriguing oh no no, no sorry not intriguing <laughs> for me at all <laughs> i think i think i think um what i uh, um what jimmy and, and yourself said michelle i thought it was really interesting where um, I think it was something on the lines of, uh, this is something that 20 something year olds would possibly like and older generations may like, and maybe Jimmy and I, um, are maybe in the middle sort of bracket. Um, but I was even thinking that these characters kind of act like 20 year olds themselves. Like, and it's almost like, well, it's it's that privilegedness that yeah, you're, it's you're that privilegedness, and then possibly this is something what uh, this is what happens when you're late in your life, when you have a lot of money and you have fairly decent health, and and you're bored as well, and so you just do do that as well, and hence midlife crisis where you try and maybe uh, rekindle uh, your 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 youth, maybe by dating or being with people who are much younger than you, um, you know, and so. Maybe it is about boredom. This is what happens when, when you're alive and you're bored and you have all the resources and you don't don't know what to do. Look, do you know what I was just the bored and the beautiful? I, yeah, well, yeah. Look, no, no, no. But do you know what I was looking at? I was I was looking for my um, Giacomo Leopardi, and you know, like I think it's the dissolution, and I, I love I love dissolution as as a kind of an aesthetic. But, but I want to ask you, Michelle, yeah. what leads to disillusion? Because I mean, no, no, I, not dis, dis, dissolution, like things dis, coming, you know, dissolving, like just. Oh, oh, oh sorry. <laughs> okay. Not dissolution, but, you know, dissolute, like just the dissolute. Oh. I, I think there's something about that that is, and, and you know, I, I think because there is that that tradition of exploring that, you know, sort of whether, you, you know, that, that I, I guess it's the, I guess it's the, I guess it's the fall of the empire. You know what I mean? Like, and, and it's kind of, horrible and awful and wrong but fascinating anyway and and i think that's what i i find intriguing is is that there is this and it's it's just it's all of those you know sort of underlying mechanisms of you know sort of the wealth and the replacement of you know sort of class with wealth and and you know sort of the divisions and and the sort of the latent power that is just shaping people's lives oh yeah no i liked it i i'm, I'm with yeah, it but, I, but even while you're saying that again i'm thinking of a better film and this time an italian one too um the leopard um i by, love that book i've, by, I've, I've, I've read it yeah, love that. And that is about dissolution itself, you know, um, and you, the kind of breaking down of, of empires. Love that. Movie. That was a that was a passionate and engaging exploration of that. Whereas this is cold and distant and removed. What, one thing I uh, sorry, sorry to interrupt, mm -hmm. but one thing I wanted to add was, it's maybe it's a question, but when um, this film feels a little bit, would you fair to say a little bit? dissolute like as you say like unresolved uh, yeah look and it was boring as batshit to watch <laughs> <laughs> i'm not saying i think there's a there's a uh, in general understanding there's a general let's say thought when uh, you uh, people watch these films uh this type of unresolved films and to say well that's what the filmmaker is intending Therefore, it's a good film because it's saying uh, there is no answer. Uh, there is uh, there's only questions. Um, but then I guess because I've seen a few uh, other Antonioni's, it's not necessarily in independent. This film's not independent to that notion compared to other Antonioni films. His other films are unresolved. It almost feels like a style. It almost feels like, 
a habit rather than something that he understood within this film. This is individual. This is unique to this story. It's, I don't think it's unique to this story. It's, it's, it's almost like a pattern throughout all his films. Thus, or, or not all his films, but the films I've seen, thus could it just be his habit of not, un, not resolving things? Not bothering. Not, or, or, or not knowing how to resolve it. Look, I mean, as I say, I think I've I've seen the what's the one with the I've I've seen one other Antonio. Lola. Yeah. Um, so I can't, you know, I've got no expertise sort of in that film, but I, I think that the, the, there were a lot of elements. I mean, I'm not sorry I watched it. You know, there's things that I <laughs> I can see you can't say that, but I'm not sorry I watched it, and I'm glad it's. I'm glad it exists. Look, Those are two things that I can say. The, the best comparison I'm going to make is, for me, it's like an academic article. I'm glad I've read it. I've got a lot of wonderful, interesting ideas out of it. But dear God, I would not really want to read it ever again. <laughs> yeah. Look, I, I think it's... Um, I'm always fascinated. I'm always grateful when you two recommend a movie. Um, and I'm, I'm certainly keen to watch another um, recommendation from the two of you. Well, I think this one... <laughs> what are you going to put me through next? <laughs> this one I think we want to do because um, uh, none of us are, has actually seen this film, so it was kind of uh, a chance to cross another film off the list, <laughs> so to speak. But I think the next film, I think we need something a little bit more engaging. I'm, I'm still, you know, punting for Gosford Park. We, we need to find the person that fell off the cliff in the next film. <laughs> oh, poor Anna. Um, Look, it's always such a lovely uh, way to spend uh, an hour with you both. And I am forever grateful to you both for uh, making me watch Antonioni because I would never have done it without you. Um, but that's it from us for this week uh, from The Lighthouse. Uh, don't forget to like us at uh, fromthelighthouse.org. And until next time, thank you.